Welcome to the Get Over Yourself podcast. This is author and athlete Brad Kearns discovering ways to be healthy, fit, and happy in hectic, high-stress modern life. So let's slow down and take a deep breath, take a cold plunge, and expertly balance that competitive intensity with an appreciation of the journey. That's the theme of the show. Here we go. The Get Over Yourself podcast is brought to you by Almost Heaven, beautiful compact home use sauna kits, ancestral supplements, grass-fed organ meats in a capsule, DNA Fit, genetic testing for custom diet and exercise recommendations, Integro Health, high-potency liquid probiotic called Flourish, Organifi, organic powdered superfoods, delicious green, gold, and red powders, Wild Idea Buffalo, sustainable, grass-fed, beyond organic, real ketones, clean burning ketones for athletic performance and fat loss. And check out the bradkearns.com slash shop page. That's my personal selection of favorite products for health, fitness, and peak performance. And here we go with the show. I don't have a television, and I don't go to meetings. Now, most people don't miss meetings, but a lot of people would miss not having a television. But rip it out. Just turn off your cable. Close your Twitter account. Go ahead, because the work is too important for that. This is not a meritocracy where some magical skill measure determines that you win and everyone else loses. Either I'm going to go through a superhuman effort to get an A in organics so I can get into Harvard Medical School, or, and there's nothing wrong with the or, I'm going to quit right now, no guilt, and go become an extraordinarily empathetic psychologist, which requires no organic chemistry, and I can put my energy into something where I can actually outperform. I want to enthusiastically recommend DNA Fit cutting-edge genetic testing to deliver a personal profile that will guide your fitness and nutrition goals. So simple, you spit in a tube, mail it off, and soon you get by email this super cool infographic where it delivers all these important insights and elements of your genetic profile at a glance. How you metabolize carbs, caffeine, vitamin D, lactose, and much more. My exercise profile was mind-blowing because it revealed my genetic muscular makeup to be 54% power strength and only 46% endurance. As a lifelong endurance athlete, I've been banging my head against the wall, training in a manner that was in conflict with my genes. Don't wait 20 years making mistakes like I did. Find out what diet and exercise patterns are most aligned with your genetics at dnafit.com. This stuff used to be super expensive. It was a few hundred dollars. Now it's pennies. Not really, but it's a great deal. And you get 30% off if you just put in the code G-O-Y-30. Check out everything at dnafit.com. Hey, listeners, I am so pleased to introduce my show with the amazing Seth Godin, multi-time best-selling author. He has one of the most popular blogs in the world. It's called Seth's.blog, the founder of the Alt-MBA program online and the Akimbo Learning Center. And this is a guy who thinks deeply and differently, gets you to do the same. He dispenses life-changing insights every day on his blog. They're really short. You have to sign up and read these things. It'll keep you focused. 
and guarded against these troubling matters of modern life like hyperconnectivity and overstimulation and decision fatigue from excessive choices uh, get you to figure out what you should do with your career, where to focus your energies. Oh my gosh. So my favorite books of his, the newest one is called This is Marketing and the bold attempt to transform our thinking about what marketing is going from from the dated old model of marketing-driven to market-driven. So today we have to answer to the needs of our audience rather than stuff things down their throat with manipulative advertising. It's a beautiful book. Everything he does is short and pithy and to the point. So go get This Is Marketing and also his book that he wrote 10 years ago called The Dip, which the essence of is persevering no matter what to become the best in the world at something making it through this dip where the going gets tough, but you pursue your dreams and you maintain your passions. In doing so, you have to get good at quitting things over and over so you can remain focused instead of distracted. So Seth elaborates further on these centerpiece concepts of his book. Oh, I asked him about, what about people who don't have that motivation, who just want to chill and consume digital entertainment and he said, that's fine, go for it, but you can't live a life that's incongruent with your uh, hopes and dreams. And that's a great source of pain and suffering in the world. I've talked about this concept with athletes and enthusiasts who want to transform their diet and look good, but then are behaving in a manner that's incongruent with those goals and enjoying the instant gratification. And I talked about my penchant for distraction when I'm trying to work on a book. And Seth gave some life-changing insights right there in the show, man. He's going to hit you straight. It'll get you thinking. Listen to it carefully. You know what I'm going to do at the end is read a couple of his short blog posts just to give you more color about this guy and inspire you to go uh, subscribe. So here we go with Seth Godin. I think we should talk about your new book, This Is Marketing, and the, the, the main takeaway that now we're talking about market-driven instead of marketing-driven. George Mayforth taught me this term in 1981, probably. Uh, marketing-driven means the marketing department is in charge. Marketing-driven means that you are paying attention to ads or to how many Twitter followers you have or what sort of social media ruckus you are making. Market-driven means that you are seeing the people you serve for who they are and solving their problems. And that's a fundamental difference. Uh, the idea that you're running around with a key looking for a lock that it fits seems crazy, but that's what most marketers do. It makes way more sense to find a lock and then go make a key. So your goal with the book was to transform the cultural thinking on this. How is it going so far? Well, writing a book is fun for me. Publishing a book is painful. Uh, I don't like the act of having to find someone who doesn't think they need a book and somehow persuade them that they need one. And it's a very crowded, hustle-focused uh, venue, and I try to avoid it. So actually my purpose in this book was to give the people who are already eagerly listening a tool they could give to other people. And by that measure, it's going great. You know, making it a number one bestseller 
I earned that privilege over 20 years of showing up. It was going to happen because people trust me enough people that it would work. That's not what I'm measuring. I'm measuring after people got the book, did they buy four more and give them away? Because that's why it's worth making a book because a book is this self-contained thing that's easy and fun to share. So for someone who's trying to get there and has been socialized to think that we need to build up our numbers, we need to get more followers, maybe even pay for them, and then when a book is out and it's our wonderful life's work masterpiece dream, then we got to hustle like crazy. Uh, what would we, how would we back into this with a more thoughtful approach that could still, we, we still got to put up numbers, right? So we can write a second book and that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, so many things about what you just said are correct in that they happen. And they're also so wrong about whether they're worth happening that yes, a book is a socially acceptable way to talk about yourself and your work. When you have a book, you're allowed to go on a podcast and say, hey, I'm a, I wrote a book. But now that anyone can write a book, everyone is writing a book. There's going to be a million books published this year. Uh, when I was coming up, it was closer to 50,000. So 1,000 a, a week, that a felt like a books? lot. Is that true? Yeah. Yes, because of the Kindle. Yeah. Right? That there are people who are writing six Kindle books a year now. Because no one can stop you. So go ahead and do it. So the number of books being published went up by a factor of 20. The number of people who want to hustle to get attention for the book goes up. That doesn't work anymore. It's not worth your effort. That what's worth your effort is to be a meaningful specific, as Zig would say, to show up for some people in a generous way. Because it turns out when you show up for people in a generous way, they tend to want to receive your generosity. And then you get to do it again. And then you get to do it again. And now you've earned trust and attention. And trust and attention give you the privilege to create tension. And the tension of this might not work or the tension of what's behind door number two or the tension of where are we going now? And that tension can be relieved by buying a book. And so the work, if you're thinking of yourself as an author for a, a living, is earn enough attention that then when you announce there's the new book, it creates the tension of, I need to get this book. Because no one's going to buy a book as a favor to you. They're going to buy a book as a favor to themselves. That kind of goes to this concept of serving the smallest viable audience. And it's, it's uh, some of this is really easy to buy into. Just about every blog post every day, I'm, I'm fully sold as soon as I read it. And I love the reminder to get away from that uh, decision fatigue, too many choices, overstimulation, uh, more thoughtful with your time and energy. And then, you know, kind of getting uh, slapped in the face here with this smallest viable audience concept. Can you, can yep. you convince us? I mean, this is so relevant to yeah, I love everyone this. This and is, everything they're doing. This is probably the biggest original idea in the book. And the key word is viable. So we know that the smallest possible audience is one person. Everyone can find one person to serve. But that's not viable because you can't live on it. It doesn't carry enough weight to make it worth your journey. But if we think about, you know, somebody like uh, Brene Brown, who is hyper successful by any measure, Brene Brown is unknown to 97% of the people in the world. 
I am unknown to 99% of the people in the world. And that's enough. 99% unknown, fine. So I am not even close to my maximum possible audience. The minimum viable audience might be 1,000 people, 5,000 people, 10,000 people. If there are 10,000 people who will come to your seminar that costs $100, you're making a million dollars in a day. You could take the next 364 days of the year off. That's all you need, 10,000 people. So it's a tiny number. Why is it so hard to understand this? And the reason is, if you pick your people in advance and say, I'm here for them, and they reject you, you feel terrible. Because you didn't say, I'm here for everyone, I hope someone picks me. You said, those people, I'm here for those people. But it's when you do the thing for those people that they will spread the word. I'm so excited to introduce you to Paluva. This is a new zero-drop minimalist shoe with the distinctive five-toe design from my main man, Mark Sisson. Paluvas give you the most authentic barefoot-style experience, but with sufficient cushioning so you can use them for all manner of daily movement, especially walking and many other fitness and athletic activities. Paluvas are also incredibly stylish, so you get a barefoot shoe that you're not embarrassed to wear around in daily life. It's been so cool to see the popularity of minimalist shoes grow over the recent years, but Paluvas are a step ahead of every other zero-drop wide-box shoe because of the critical feature of individual five-toe articulation, a separate slot for each of your toes. This allows for correct dynamic movement of the foot through the walking or running stride, which is impossible when your toes are encased into a single box, even a wide box. Well, you might know that minimalist shoes have faced controversy in recent years for causing injuries from inappropriate use. So here is the big picture mission. We want to get you walking in paluvas, living in your paluvas, going barefoot in your home or other safe areas as often as possible. Go ahead and use your specialized cushiony running shoes or your basketball shoes, work boots, high heels, things that you want to wear when you want to wear them, but wear your Paluvas as much as possible to reawaken the natural functionality of the human foot to stand, walk, run, and perform. Do you want to try a pair? I'm certain that when you put them on and walk around, you are going to quickly realize that these are the most comfortable, natural shoes that you've ever worn. They are designed to feel like you're, quote, walking barefoot on a putting green please visit paluva.com, that's P-E-L-U-V-A, and use the code BRADPODCAST and get 10% off your first pair. Paluvas, let your feet be feet. Greetings, my fitness-minded listeners. I want to acquaint you with the Primal Fitness Expert Certification Program, the most comprehensive home study multimedia fitness education course in the world. If you want to enhance your personal knowledge of all aspects of leading a healthy, active, fit lifestyle, this total immersion course will be life-changing. I'm the lead instructor and author of the course, and we have 14 chapters of extensive written content with over 100 accompanying videos covering topics such as general everyday movement, including micro-workouts and dynamic workstation tips, the full experience of gym-based strength training in all the different modalities, a complete presentation 
information on all aspects of sprinting, both running and low-impact options, an assortment of high-intensity interval training and high-intensity repeat training strategies, a detailed education on the principles and practical application of aerobic endurance training, and extensive commentary, the most you will find in any publication, on all aspects and symptoms of overtraining and burnout. We even have fascinating peripheral topics like integrating nasal diaphragmatic breathing, dynamic stretching, injury prevention, and developing a peak performance mindset. It's really something, this course. We went all out for over two years with a great team to develop this amazing home-based fitness education for you. And you get one-on-one expert email support and private Facebook group connection throughout your studies to ensure that you absorb everything optimally and you pass your series of exams and get certified. So go to primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad to enjoy a very special limited time. And I'm not kidding. This is a big time discount just for you. 25% off your tuition. A fantastic premium offer at primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad for the most comprehensive fitness course you can ever find. All right, so let's say you're a jazz bassist and you decide your people are the 1,000 smartest insiders in the jazz world in New York City in Greenwich Village. So if you show up at the Village Vanguard and play a great show in the vernacular that that group wants, you've made it. You're done. That's it. You're booked for the rest of your life in that kind of venue. Will you get picked by the Rolling Stones to back them up on their new tour? Who cares? Doesn't matter. Not on your agenda. What's on your agenda is there were 800 big fans in the village who say you play the bass guitar as well as Christian McBride. You win because they'll tell everybody else. Smallest viable audience. So I guess we're forced to go that direction anyway because of the flat economy instead of the vertical economy. Uh, we're probably going to get our butt kicked if we're trying to go for uh, the, the universe because there's so much competition and free choice now. That's correct. And the fact that ideas spread horizontally, not vertically, not from you to the people you serve, but from people to each other. That the way you found out about Twitter and Airbnb and even Google is not from the company. You found out about it from someone who used what the company made. And the same thing's true with music, Right that Patricia Barber doesn't knock on your door and say, want to hear a jazz record. Someone like me tells you about Patricia Barber's record, and now the word spreads because she made it for me, and I got pleasure out of telling you. So are we to serve the target audience that we're, we're best able to serve and then really sit back, cross our fingers, and hope they spread the word? No, uh, I don't think crossing fingers is a particularly useful strategy. Uh, <laughs> I think it goes into the, uh, the, the, the blog, uh, the, the writer uh, that wrote you and you, you published the response, which was great. You're open. And the guy said, hey, Seth, what about luck? How come you talk about all this hard work and strategy and, and, and discount the importance of luck? And you wrote back, uh, sure, go ahead and count on luck. <laughs> you, you go that was there. a long time ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that we have way more leverage than we thought, way more time than we thought. We don't go to meetings. We don't use Facebook. We don't use television. We got seven free hours a day, maybe 10. So what are you going to create during those 10 hours? What are you going to organize? That it's nice 
to put something into the world for your thousand true fans. But what happens if you organize your thousand true fans? What if you invite your thousand true fans to connect to each other? That the act of being the impresario who connects takes an enormous amount of effort. But what it pays off in is if you are actually a connector, people can't help but tell the others. Uh, would this be the difference between workshops and what was the distinctive term, uh, courses? That's part, that's a big part of it. You know, that, uh, when I started doing online courses, I first, I did them, um, for, uh, I just forgot the name of the one in, uh, New York city. And I was their top ranked teacher for a while. And then I switched to Udemy and I was their top ranked teacher for a while. But what I discovered is it was vertical. I was making a video. People were watching the video. And I realized that the internet doesn't like that that the possibilities that are open by this technology are, what happens if you connect two students to each other? Because when two students connect to each other, real learning happens. When people are working on their project, not your project, real learning happens. So the reason I'm in the workshop business, the reason that Akimbo exists, is we didn't see anybody else doing this in a way where we could play or where anyone could play. So we said, how are we going to build this platform to prove that this is a different kind of education than a different kind of learning, sorry, a different kind of learning, because what we're saying to people is, if you find the others, you do your work and their work together, I don't have to do very much at all. I just have to tee up the ball and you can swing at it. Do you see this trend growing? Is there a lot of opportunities to do that now? I think it's the future of learning. I think that we're going to see an enormous number of institutes of higher learning go bankrupt soon because they're not Harvard and Princeton. So they don't have a, a, a endowment to depend on, but people are going to say, wait, I'm $250,000 in debt and I have a college degree. that's not worth anything. I don't want anyone I know to go do that again. And cause the value has eroded. Plus every single course at MIT is online for free. So if you can get the coursework for free, what are you paying for exactly? And MIT is not in trouble, but Podunk University is in trouble. Whew. And would that uh, affect a young student pondering their, their future and their career prospects? Is this really a viable option, or do you still have this dated system where they have to traffic that diploma around to, to get a chance? Yeah. Well, you know, there's still plenty of data that shows that people with a bachelor's degree make more money than people who don't. But there's also plenty of data that shows that people who got into college and didn't go make just as much money and are just as happy as people who went. So the divider is not that you went to college, it's that you were diligent enough to get in. And so I think what we're seeing already is people who understand how to program, people who understand how to organize, people who understand how to lead, are doing it long before they go to college. They're doing it without going to college. And that shift, sorry, that shift is going to continue because there's nothing pushing it in the other direction. I don't think any of this is true about engineering school. I think that the STEM stuff clearly pays off and that we need an organized, accredited way to prove that you understand how to build a bridge that's not going to fall down. But most of us don't do that for a living. What most of us do for a living is deal with human beings in ways that human beings are glad we deal with them. 
Also, aren't we going to get our butts kicked here in America by the 10 to 1 ratio of excellent STEM students from India and China coming forward? Yeah, we can't out obedience people who are coming from countries where obedience is more prized than here. We can't out test score people. And, you know, if you're a radiologist, you're in big trouble because now, like 10 years ago was bad because once your, digi- once your x-rays are digital, we can have them read by somebody in India or wherever. But now they're being read by the scanner. The computer can read an x-ray better than a radiologist can read an x-ray. So all those years of school, not worth anything. Any job where we can write down what you do, we can find someone cheaper than you to do it. And it's probably going to be a computer. <laughs> yeah, aren't the surgeons uh, now sitting at a keyboard often having the robot exactly. make the surgery? And I got to tell you, I want my surgeon to be sitting at a keyboard. I don't want my surgeon to be hacking at me with a knife because a robot's way better than a surgeon at hacking me with, with a knife. Oh, mercy. Get ready for change, people. Uh, so this kind of transitions over to uh, my other favorite life-changing insight from your book, The Dip, and the basic concept here of Uh, persevering no matter what for something that you're passionate at, you believe that you're going to make that special contribution, uh, the dip being that time when things get tough. But can you take us through that, that premise of that book? And, uh, sure. I I was delighted. Uh, I don't know if you're a CBS Sunday morning listener, but it's going to be viewers going to be on TV in two days. Um, like out of the blue, they just showed up and said, Oh, we think it's a good book. Uh, 10 years ago, I wrote a book about quitting and the theory of the book is simple. Thanks to Google and lots of other things, the best in the world gets way bigger prizes than the 10th best in the world. Being on the front page of the search results, being ranked number one, whatever it is where you're the top, you get way more than your fair share of prizes, even if you're only 0.1% better than the one who's on page three. Okay, we can all agree on that. No one wants to go out of their way to go to number four. You don't want your surgery to be done by the sixth best surgeon in town. So what does it mean to be the best? Well, first we have to define what best means. It means for the person you seek to serve, not some magical overall measure. What does it mean to be in, of the world, the best in the world? It means in the world of the person you seek to serve. So if it's 12 o'clock at night and I need a locksmith to get me into my car, the best locksmith in the world is the convenient locksmith near my house. That's best in the world. All right. So how do you get across to become best? Well, the answer is there's scarcity in the sense that if it was easy to be seen as number one, it wouldn't be worth anything. But scarcity kicked in because along the way, some people quit. Some people gave up. Some people stopped investing. Some people stopped showing up. That's the dip. That moment when it's easier to quit than to keep going. And my argument is if you seek to make a difference, to be a professional, you should sign up for the fact that there's going to be a dip. And when the dip shows up, you shouldn't freak out. You shouldn't whine. You should be thrilled because that means you're onto something. That in that moment when it gets really hard and when most people are quitting, you are excited because that's your chance to get through that dip. Hmm, what if that voice comes up that's uh, wondering why you're draining all your money, there's no income yet, whatever that dip is looks like, 
that's causing people to quit the the actors that are around town here in Los Angeles waiting tables and the people that are right. going for something that's maybe too long of odds or maybe they just don't have that singing talent to get on the voice right all right so I want to talk about actors for a minute because that's a really good counterexample uh, there is no dip for actors it's a dead end it's not a dip because the actors that break through don't break through because they pushed harder. They break through because they got lucky. That for every 10,000 actors, 500 are good enough to be Bruce Willis. And only one got to be Bruce Willis. So, so yeah, you're going to have to do the work to be one of the 500, for sure. But let's not conflate Bruce Willis with Glenda Jackson. They're not the same. That you, this is not a meritocracy where some magical skill measure determines that you win and everyone else loses. Any actor who's ever been in on, a, on an audition knows this. This is not a skill game. It is a game of skill plus, plus, plus seven other things. So if you want to play this game, please, by all means, play it. But understand that waiting tables is really what you do for a living and that your hobby is going on auditions. And if you're okay with that, do it. But don't bankrupt your family because you think there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. That's not practical. That's not responsible. That's different than the dip in front of a civil engineer. Because if you get through your civil engineering exams and you figure out how to design a bridge more beautiful than other people can, more efficient than other people can, you win. You get the jackpot immediately. You don't have to worry about going on an audition. They're going to find you. That is worth going through a dip for, but not to be a Broadway actor. I guess the the uh, contrast could be an athlete trying to qualify for the U.S. Open right. golf tournament. Sure. There's 9,000 players that tee it up in the uh, regional yes. qualifyings, and there's no I like, luck I there. like the golfer one. The golfer one is much better. So here's the way I think about the golfer one. Before Tiger, you could drink beer and play golf at the same time. And what Tiger demonstrated was he was going to invent a dip. And that dip is six hours of strength training, weight training, flexibility training, and coaching every single day. And he went through that dip on purpose and created a moat behind him. And that's why we don't talk about Jack Daly anymore, right? John Daly anymore. Because what Tiger did is said, there are no auditions here. If I can be three strokes better than you, I will win. So I will go through a dip to create a barrier between me and you. And the same thing's true if you wanna break a four minute mile. Like what Bannister did he wasn't born fast. What Roger Bannister did was chart out every step that would be necessary to run a four-minute mile. And he hired people to stand, run with him for each section of it. So as long as he was standing, running next to the person who was pacing him, he was fine. And he went through a dip. Once he did, interesting to note, a whole bunch of people ran a four-minute mile right away because he demonstrated that it was possible. And so, again, in sports, many sports, not all sports, we're definitely seeing that if you go through it and stick it out, 
better than the others, not just stick it up, but better than the others, then there's a prize at the other end. And the only argument I would make to someone who's thinking of playing college sports is it's a sucker's bet. And if you do the math, you are way more likely to become a heart surgeon than you are to become an NFL player. I'm pleased to present B-Rad Grass-Fed Whey Protein Isolate Superfuel, the absolute highest quality, all-natural protein supplement infused with creatine that delivers everything you need to optimize your appetite for fat loss, recover quickly from workouts, and build and maintain lean muscle mass, the single most important attribute for aging gracefully. Our protein comes directly from small family farms in America's dairy land of Wisconsin. It's cold processed and micro filtered for maximum bioavailability and digestibility. So please don't mess with the many cheap commodity protein supplements that are ineffective, inferior, less pure, and often contain junk sweeteners, especially the plant-based offerings that are vastly less bioavailable than the gold standard of protein supplements that's whey protein isolate. Whether you're in your peak athletic years looking to grow and recover or in the older age groups trying to delay aging and decline, whey and creatine are widely agreed to be the most critical and effective supplements to take for the rest of your life. You can easily stir the super fuel in water or make a delicious smoothie every day. I'm certain that you're going to love the pleasant, light, natural vanilla bean and cocoa bean flavors. So try some on Amazon today. It's a huge hit with dozens of five-star reviews. Or you can order direct from bradnutrition.com with our buy three, get one free, and make the super fuel a centerpiece of your daily routine. I want to tell you about wildhealth.com. They're an online provider of comprehensive precision medicine and health consultation services. They offer DNA analysis, custom lab panels, extensive medical intake form with family history and lifestyle preferences, and regular online visits with a board-certified precision medicine physician and a health coach whom you can message anytime through their convenient app. Wild Health evaluates your data to determine what you need for nutrition, exercise, sleep, and supplements. And you can experiment, consult, and retest to get everything dialed in. You'll get a cutting-edge epigenetic test of DNA methylation to calculate your all-important biological age and have fun lowering your age over time instead of following the mainstream path to accelerated aging. It's time to strive for awesome instead of just normal. Did you realize that only 6.8% of Americans are deemed metabolically healthy and only 2% are declared optimal? That's disgraceful, but you can turn things around quickly. Please visit wildhealth.com and you will see that this is the absolute gold standard of personalized medicine and it's available to you right now. Telemedicine available anywhere in the USA. Wild Health is generously extending BRAD podcast listeners 20% off the cost of membership. Just visit wildhealth.com slash Brad or use the code BRAD20 at checkout to get 20% off and start taking control of your health today at wildhealth.com slash Brad. Whew. Well, I guess most of us have the, the quantifiable uh 
stuff along the way to tell us where we stand. If you're taking organic chemistry, I think that was one of your examples too, where you're getting yeah. a C and you want to be a doctor, you're going to have to sit down with a, a mirror or a conversation with a mentor and, and talk about, talk about this dip. And uh, remember that, that big point where you said, uh, get, get good at quitting and quitting often. So, maybe, right. So, know, maybe so at that point you say, Either I'm going to go through a superhuman effort to get an A in organic so I can get into Harvard Medical School, or, and there's nothing wrong with the or, I'm going to quit right now, no guilt, and go become an extraordinarily empathetic psychologist, which requires no organic chemistry, and I can put my energy into something where I can actually outperform. So then we're leading further down this path of getting good at quitting. And an observation I have about today's uh, culture, we have this massive uh, opportunity to be entertained and stimulated all the time and to become the, the, the greatest dilettante of all time, where we can just uh, opine on all manner of things, not really become the best in the world or even try to become the best in the world at everything. So we're hanging out at the coffee shop or we're hanging on uh, to uh, Dr. Wendy Walsh says today's male is addicted to uh, video games and porn. So it hijacks all the, the hard work we had to do in the old days to master our environment and uh, seek the, you know, the, the, the chemical needs that we have at, at our biological basic. Uh, and I'm, I'm reflecting on that and wondering, you know, some of these folks seem to be maybe even happy and well-adjusted. They're, they're frying up burgers in the park. They're listening to a boombox. They're playing uh, pickup basketball. They're driving yep. home in their crappy car. They don't have the higher ambitions to get the new Tesla, uh, but they've got a big smile on their face, and they're going to go back to their Netflix queue. I love this. I think it's fantastic, as long as you aren't confused about what you're going to get. That what I was writing about, what I continue to write about is don't sign up for a mismatch to live one life and expect a different life. That if you can live a life that matches the life you want to live, please do that. I think that's fantastic. But if you want what you get when you are seen as number one at something, don't think that you're going to get it by living a life that doesn't have a dip in it. That's my point. Not that those people have done anything wrong. Well, I guess that's a conflict that maybe a huge percentage of people do have deep down, that they wish for a better life and they're not, they're not making it happen because they're pulling a C in organic chemistry and dreaming of Harvard Medical School. Yeah, I mean, I had a, a guy in my inventive design class undergrad and the, the, the design project was build a kit that the engineering students could carry all their tools in. And he showed up with one that was uh, a little canvas bag with two uh, Velcro enclosures that could hold beer cans so that you could have a beer while you were working on your engineering homework. And he had fun making it, and it was clever, right? But it demonstrated that he had a path through the world where he wasn't going to compromise to get to the head of the line. And I totally get that. And he was coherent and mindful of, where, of what path he was on. The problem we have 
is that the magic of the 40 years after World War II, where you could get a really good job doing what other people asked you to and go home at 5.30 at night. We took all those jobs away. And I'm sorry we took those jobs away. And I didn't take them away, and I'm sorry they're gone. But they're gone. So we can't act like we're entitled to one of those jobs because there aren't any of them anymore. Now we got to hustle, essentially. I don't know if you and I are using the word hustle the same way. The problem with the way most people use the word hustle is that involves stealing attention and stealing trust. And I think that what we have to do instead is exert ourselves on behalf of those that we hope will trust us. And if we can create value through that exertion, call that hustle if you want, but I don't feel like, I've never met someone who said, that person really hustled me, and I'm glad they did. So if maybe I'm hopefully speaking for a bunch of people, but let's say I'm coherent and focused, I have hopes and dreams, I have this contribution I believe that my, my viable audience is ready for, I'm the unique guy to do it, I'm going to go kick some butt and make it happen. I have a uh, organized to-do list. And, and, and then uh, I face the digital swirl, you call it. Sure. And I'm, I'm being serious. This is an extreme uh, concern of mine, not only for myself, but for all humanity, where I, I just had to, I just finished a, a big book project with Sisson. We turned it in. It was, uh, you know, a massive effort. And every step of the way, every single day, um, I believe I endured more stress and pain and suffering due to the constant pull of distraction. And right. actually, the, the, I have to say, the, the pleasure that it gave me, because you know, we like to procrastinate if we're writing a book or avoid that, that pain. Yep. You know, the, the college admission scandal is fascinating to me. It, it hits home. And there's an emotional point there when I have kids applying for college, and I can't get enough of it, and I can't stop myself. I get, I'm getting some kind of a payoff when I should be focused on my book and my contribution. So please help, Seth. I know you help every day with your blog posts, but we want to get into that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and I think we got to start wrapping up soon, but I, the essence of what I'm saying to people is there are no promises about a comfortable way to get through the dip. Knowing that there is a dip helps us find an uncomfortable way to go through it. And so I don't have a television. And I don't go to meetings. Now, most people don't miss meetings, but a lot of people would miss not having a television. But rip it out. Just turn off your cable. Close your Twitter account. Go ahead, because the work is too important for that. And we know that when we watch, you, you mentioned sports, when we watch a competitor running in the Boston Marathon, she doesn't stop in the middle for a piece of cheesecake. But cheesecake would be delicious. It doesn't matter. You don't win the Boston Marathon if you're going to stop for cheesecake. So if you're working on a book and it's going to make people's lives better, just disconnect all your social media. I know it's painful, but that's why they call it work. At least we don't have to dig ditches. Oh, my gosh. I think we just have the headline quote of the, the month. You can't win the Boston Marathon if you stop for cheesecake. Seth, I appreciate you so much, man. Tell us where the best places to find you. I, I want everyone to read the blog. And I, I really mean this, like you make it through the gate because of the, the, the brevity and the profound significance of these short posts. But otherwise, I'm doing a good job filtering out anything that's lengthy. So Good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Visit akimbo.com, A-K-I-M-B-O dot C-O-M, and you can read about our workshops in the Alt-MBA. And you can find my blog by typing Seth into Google. Seth Godin, thank you. Keep it up. This is marketing. Go get the book. Buy five of them. Pand them off to your friends. Thanks for listening, everyone. All right. Fast-paced, hard-hitting as usual. Thanks for listening to Seth Godin. Uh, my apologies to the radiologists and the actors listening who might have been offended. Oh, boy. Good luck to you figuring it out. Anyway, I want to read you a couple of his blog posts to show you how short and fun they are to receive every single day. And one of them is called Busy is Not the Point. This is the entire blog post. It's only a paragraph, so hang in there if you're really busy. There's a common safe place, being busy. We're supposed to give you a pass because you were full on all day, frantically moving from one thing to the other, never pausing to catch your breath, and now you're exhausted. No points for busy. Points for successful prioritization. Points for efficiency and productivity. Points for doing work that matters. But no points for busy. Ah, and then on with your busy day. Here's another one that's longer, but it's really important to me because we're talking about the overstimulation in modern life. One of my favorite topics, trying to get it on the podcast a lot. The title of the post is Cognitive Load is Real. Disneyland is stressful. The occasional visitor to Disneyland has far less fun than you might expect. That's because without habits, every decision requires attention, and attention is exhausting. And it's stressful because the choices made appear to be expensive. There's a significant opportunity cost to doing this and not that. You're leaving Disneyland tomorrow. What are you going to skip? What if it's not worth the line? What are you missing? It's all fraught. We feel the failure of a bad choice in advance, long before we discover whether or not it was actually bad. And it's not just Disney World. It's the whole world now. Every minute on a website is a minute not spent doing something else. Every decision about what to write in social media is enervating. It's not like the old days with just three TV channels and a TV guide to make that difficult decision even easier. That's right, the most popular magazine in America for decades was devoted to helping people figure out which one of these three channels to watch. Here's my list in order of what drives behavior in the modern privileged world. Number one, fear, right? Fear of missing out, FOMO. Folk you, fear of keeping up. Second on Seth's list, cognitive load and the desire for habit and ease. Third, greed, which is fueled by fear. Fourth, curiosity. And fifth, generosity and connection. These five, in an eternal dance, with capitalist agents regularly using behavioral economics to push us to trade one for the other. We're never satisfied, of course, which is why our culture isn't stable. We regularly build systems to create habits that lower the cognitive load, but then curiosity, amplified by greed and fear, kick in and the whole cycle starts again. Whew, 
What does this post mean to you? Email to get over yourself podcast at gmail.com. Let's talk about it. I'm trying to move those beautiful ones, curiosity, generosity, connection further up and clear out the fear, the excess cognitive load, especially, of course, the greed. Nice five bullet points to consider. Thanks for listening. Seth Godin and Seth Godin's blog here at the end. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the show. We would love your feedback at getoveryourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And we would also love if you could leave a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a hassle. You have to go to desktop iTunes, click on the tab that says ratings and reviews, and then click to rate the show anywhere from five to five stars. And it really helps spread the word so more people can find the show and get over themselves, because they need to. Thanks for doing it. This is Brad. I want to tell you about my life-changing acquisition of a personal home-use sauna. I have a 6 by 6 barrel sauna in my backyard, ready-made heat therapy, a fabulous unit from Almost Heaven. Check out their website. You can very affordably order your own sauna for installation in your backyard or garage and have a sauna experience, the fabulous health benefits accruing from exposure to hot temperatures. Get that sweat going. These are beautiful, traditional dry barrel saunas where you splash the water on the rocks, go in there and relax. It's become a social centerpiece at my home. People traveling from far and wide to come check out the barrel sauna, turn the dial or set the timer and walk in to 200 degrees in the Caribbean seas. For some reason, people like to come to the sauna more than my cold tub. Go figure. Check out almostheaven.com and their beautiful natural wood designs. And pretty soon, surprisingly affordable, you will be in the home sauna business.